0: G'day, welcome to Age Abuse and Justice, where each episode I summarise an elder abuse case to demonstrate what elder abuse looks like and how the law deals with it. Age Abuse and Justice started as short videos published on YouTube. I did 15 cases in video format, but it took much longer to record and edit, so gradually I eased out of videos to focus on the podcast. It also allowed me to do cases in more detail. I'm now adding the audio from those video recordings to be available on the podcast channel as well. Please excuse the bad audio, these are made from when I was first learning how to use this equipment, so it gets pretty dicey. So this is one of those video recordings. The videos are still available on YouTube if you'd like to check them out. You can search for Age Abuse and Justice, or you could look on the New South Wales Legal Aid podcast channel. But I'll also include the links for this case in the notes below. So onto the case. My name is Tanya Chapman and the case we're looking at today demonstrates what you should do if you suspect that an attorney is misusing their powers. In New South Wales, you can make an application to the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal, also referred to as NCAT, but I'm going to refer to it as the Tribunal. The tribunal can question the attorney. They can ask the attorney for copies of their records and accounts. And if they aren't satisfied that the attorney is acting in the principal's best interest, they can remove the attorney and replace them with someone else. Just to add an element of confusion. If you appoint someone to manage your own finances under the power of attorney, that person is called your attorney. If the tribunal appoints someone to manage your finances, that person is called your financial manager. But basically, they're the same thing. The case I'm looking at today involves one daughter applying to the tribunal saying that her sister, the attorney, is misusing her power. The guardianship tribunal heard the matter and they made orders, but the attorney daughter wasn't happy with those orders and so she appealed them. The appeal was heard by the appeal panel of the tribunal. To try to avoid confusion, I'm going to refer to the first decision as being made by the guardianship tribunal and the appeal being decided by the appeal panel. The relevant legislation prohibits the publication of the names of parties involved before the tribunal or the appeal panel. Instead, they use acronyms. In this case, the mother is referred to as ZLV and her daughters are ZLU, ZLW and ZLX. If I use those acronyms, I'm going to get confused and you're going to get confused. So I'm going to refer to them as the mother. ZLU is the daughter that has been appointed as her mother's guardian and attorney. So I'm going to refer to her as the attorney. ZLW is the daughter that made the application to the tribunal to get this appointment reviewed. So I'm going to refer to her as the applicant. And ZLX is the third daughter who doesn't really play a big part in this case. So I'm just going to refer to her as the third daughter. Finally, before I move on to the facts of the case, just a refresher. In New South Wales, a guardian is the person that makes medical and lifestyle decisions. So they decide where the person lives, what medical treatment they receive, and who can visit them. The attorney deals with finances and property. So they will deal with the bank accounts and control assets like the house, if there's a house, if there's superannuation, investments, all of the money and property. So long as the principal has capacity, they can give instructions to the attorney, and the attorney has to follow those instructions. But if the principal has lost capacity, then the attorney has to act in the principal's best interest. So, a little background. In November 2017, the mother did a new Power of Attorney and Enduring Guardian. Previously she had appointed the applicant daughter to be her attorney and guardian but with these new documents she cancelled that appointment and instead appointed her other daughter, the one I'm going to be referring to as the attorney. So about half a year goes by and the applicant daughter starts to suspect that the attorney is actually stealing money from the mother's bank accounts and she makes her application to NCAT seeking to have the appointment reviewed. She's not seeking to be appointed herself as the attorney and guardian again, but she is seeking to have her sister removed and someone else appointed. The guardianship tribunal hearing started in September 2018, then it adjourned for a little while and then it was finalised in February 2019. The attorney didn't want a new person to be appointed and opposed the application. She told the tribunal that she was taking care of their mother and they didn't need to appoint anyone else. In coming to a decision, the tribunal's first step is to assess the mother's capacity. Does she have capacity to make decisions for herself? If so, they don't need to appoint anyone else. They looked at the mother's medical records. She was diagnosed with dementia and was cognitively impaired. She also suffered from a number of physical ailments. The tribunal found that the mother did lack capacity, however they decided not to appoint a guardian at that time. Uh, They found that there wasn't any medical or lifestyle decisions that needed to be made for the mother. The tribunal will only appoint someone if there are decisions for that person to make. They won't appoint someone just to have them sitting around twiddling their thumbs and waiting until they're needed. The tribunal found that the mother was incapable of managing her own financial affairs. They needed to decide whether the attorney should continue to manage her mother's finances or if they had to appoint someone else to do that. The main concern before the tribunal was that the attorney had potentially been exploiting the mother financially, as there were several bank transactions that the attorney wasn't able to explain. Without confirming whether there had been actual exploitation, the guardianship tribunal did say that there was an unacceptable risk of exploitation, and that the appointment of the power of attorney didn't reduce that risk. For that reason, the appointment of a financial manager was required. The tribunal appointed the attorney to act as the financial manager, subject to the supervision of the New South Wales trustee and guardian. You might be wondering, she was already the attorney, why make her the financial manager? What difference does that make? She was already in charge of her mother's finances, and now she'll continue to be in charge of them, her title will just be different. Well, there was a method to the tribunal's madness. Firstly, even though the attorney will be performing pretty much the same role, this time she's doing it under the supervision of the New South Wales trustee and guardian. So the New South Wales trustee and guardian will be watching what she's doing, they can ask her to explain her actions, and they can give her instructions which she would have to follow. Secondly, the appointment as financial manager would only be for a period of 12 months, after which the appointment would be reviewed. So it gives the attorney a year to prove that she can manage the finances adequately, after which, if the tribunal finds that she actually isn't doing such a good job, they can still replace her. Now, it may seem odd that there's been this indication that the attorney was misusing or stealing her mother's money, and yet she's still been appointed as the financial manager. Even with supervision, it's like she did the wrong thing and now they're endorsing it by making her the financial manager. So what's going on there? But there is reasoning behind this decision as well. Firstly, while there was the risk of exploitation, the tribunal didn't have enough evidence before it to make a confirmation to confirm absolutely that the attorney had been taking money. Secondly, the mother is someone they've already confirmed has diminished capacity And it could be further detrimental to her if suddenly out of nowhere there's this stranger managing her finances involved in her life. The tribunal recognised that this would have a significant disruption to the mother's life and they didn't want to be causing her more harm as they tried to help her. And thirdly, the risk of exploitation was reduced by having the New South Wales trustee and guardian appointed to supervise the actions of the financial manager. It would put the attorney on her guard that her actions are going to be reviewed, so to make sure that she's not doing anything wrong. And the New South Wales trustee and guardian were already on alert that this is someone who has potentially misused their powers in the past and that she might do it again. So they're on the lookout for it. So the order was made that the attorney is now the financial manager and that appointment will be reviewed in 12 months time. At that time, the New South Wales trustee and guardian can report to the tribunal about whether she complied with any instructions they gave and whether she did a good job during that time. If she didn't do a good enough job during that time, or if she abused her power again, she would be removed as the financial manager and the New South Wales trustee and guardian would take over completely. The tribunal made those orders in February 2019, so they were due to be reviewed in February 2020. However, just one month after the orders were made, the attorney, now appointed as the financial manager, appealed that decision. The appeal. So in her application, the attorney sought to have these orders overturned so that she would once again be the attorney and not the financial manager anymore. And the main effect of this would be that she would still have control over her mother's finances, but she wouldn't be subject to the supervision of the New South Wales trustee and guardian, and the appointment wouldn't stop at 12 months' time or be reviewed at 12 months' time. It would just continue. The mother's opinion. So while the mother has been determined to have diminished capacity to make decisions for herself, it doesn't mean that the tribunal doesn't take her opinion into consideration when making their orders. In fact, that's one of the things they need to do. To allow her to participate in the proceedings as much as possible, the appeal panel appointed a guardian ad litem, which is referred to as the gal. The role of the gal is to speak to the mother, to get her opinion on these applications, to help her present that opinion to the appeal panel, and to help her understand what's going on with all of this process. The gal that had been appointed in this case made numerous attempts to try to speak to the mother, but all of those attempts were hindered. In June, a letter was sent to the appeal panel, said to be from the mother, in which she expressed the wish that the gal be removed. She said that this guardian didn't represent her wishes adequately to the tribunal. The tribunal found that the gal had used his best efforts to get in contact with the mother and that it was no fault of his own that his efforts were avoided. They found that he should stay appointed, but they acknowledged that he would have limited role in the proceedings because he d- he wouldn't be able to convey the mother's opinion. He hadn't received it. The appeal panel had also received another letter supposedly from the mother early in April in which she told the appeal panel that she didn't want anyone appointed to be her financial manager, that she wanted her finances to continue to be managed by her daughter, the attorney, and by the third daughter. She said that they had never exploited her, and had only supported her since her husband's death in 1986. There was another three-page submission supposedly from the mother in July, basically saying the same thing. The reason I say supposedly from the mother is because the appeal panel asked the mother about these submissions and she wasn't able to say whether she had written it, who else might have written it, the purpose of the submissions, even though they had her signature on them, she didn't seem to have any knowledge of them. The attorney daughter later admitted that she had been the one who had written the three page submission, but she said that it was absolutely her mother's opinion in the document. Given that the appeal panel didn't believe that the mother had prepared this document, they didn't take its contents into consideration. The applicant, the daughter who had made the initial application to NCAT to have the whole appointment reviewed, was also given a chance to give her opinion to the appeal panel on this application to have those orders overturned. She submitted that she wanted the orders to stay in place, and she said, I quote... I believe that the decision made by the tribunal as well as the reasons given for the decision were fair and justified and that this appeal has been made on grounds that are frivolous and vexatious. End quote. Grounds of appeal. You can't just appeal a decision because you don't like it. You have to actually have grounds of appeal. The appeal panel found that because the attorney had drafted her own submissions and was representing herself, it wasn't entirely clear what the grounds of her appeal were, even though her submissions were over 53 pages long. So they waded through these 53 pages and they worked out some grounds of appeal so that they could address them. One of them was that the guardianship tribunal hadn't given consideration to the mother's opinion. The gal hadn't been able to engage with the mother, so they weren't able to get the mother's opinion from him. Instead, they looked at the power of attorney document in which the mother had appointed the attorney daughter to act for her and manage her finances. This document in itself was evidence that at one stage the mother had wanted this daughter to manage her finances. So they took this wish into consideration when they were making those orders. However, they were guided by the fact that the mother's welfare and interests should be given paramount importance and that protecting her from the risk of exploitation outweighed her own opinion in this matter. On this grounds of appeal, the appeal panel found that the mother's opinions had been given consideration. Another ground of appeal was accusations against the applicant. The attorney in her submissions made accusations against the applicant including that she had accessed the mother's bank account statements without authorization, and that she had taken assets or property from the mother's house in 2017. The appeal panel said that it was unclear how this was relevant because the applicant wasn't, a, wasn't applying to be appointed herself, so her credibility and her actions weren't being called into question. She was merely applying for her sister's actions to be reviewed and for the... Tribunal to consider appointing someone else. So these accusations weren't relevant to that. The third and the weirdest grounds of appeal was the claim that the sound recording of the hearing before the guardianship tribunal had been edited. The attorney claimed that the sound recording of that tribunal hearing on the 12th of February 2019 was edited, that parts of it had been deleted, but also that parts had been added. The attorney claimed that parts of that sound recording hadn't actually happened, that her voice had in fact been digitally manipulated to ask questions and provide answers that didn't happen at the hearing. When the attorney was asked who she thought would edit the sound recordings of the hearing, she said possibly the tribunal in order to justify the orders they had made. The appeal panel found that the accusation that the audio recordings had been manipulated and edited was completely without merit. Another ground of appeal was that the attorney claimed that there wasn't evidence to support the finding that there was an unacceptable risk of exploitation to the mother. So the appeal panel had to look at the evidence that was before the guardianship tribunal to find out whether there was enough evidence that there was an unacceptable risk. A part of that evidence was firstly that the mother had no knowledge of her own finances. She didn't know who she had bank accounts with. She didn't know how much was in her bank accounts. She knew she received the pension, but she said it was about $33 a week. She didn't know how the bills were paid, but she believed that her daughters were taking care of that. She thought she had a bank card, but she didn't know where it was. And she also said that she had money at the house, probably around $300. The bank statement showed that there had been suspicious activity on the mother's pension account. In March 2018, over a period of about two weeks, $5,000 was withdrawn from the mother's bank accounts in batches of $1,000 from an ATM. There were similar withdrawals spanning about five months, and all up over $15,000 was withdrawn. The amount in the bank account had been reduced to $60. The attorney tried to explain this by saying that her mother would get her to withdraw cash from the ATM so that the mother could keep it in the house in order to pay any big bills or repair costs. She said that she believed there was about $7,000 stored around the house. When asked whether she thought this was a safe thing to do, she said yes because they were all living there. The attorney said that her mother had capacity to make her own decisions, and it was her decision to have the money withdrawn and have it around the house, and that she was merely respecting that decision. The tribunal had also looked at bank statements from an earlier period, from April to September 2017. The reason why this period was important was because the attorney was in the UK and didn't have access to her mum's bank accounts, and the transactions in the bank changed significantly while the attorney was away. During this time, the bank account increased by over $6,000, and the withdrawals were much less and much less frequent. The tribunal also noted that while the attorney and the third daughter lived with their mother in their mother's house, they didn't contribute to any of the maintenance or utility costs, and they didn't pay rent. If they were acting in their mother's best interest, wouldn't they at least be contributing to shared expenses? Ultimately, the guardianship tribunal had found that the attorney was not acting in her mother's best interest and that the bank records did raise the concern of exploitation. And the appeal panel confirmed this, finding that there was sufficient evidence to make a finding that the mother was at unacceptable risk of exploitation. The appeal was dismissed. So a couple of thoughts on this case. The first one is I feel like the initial orders of the guardianship tribunal were well thought out when appointing someone to be the financial manager. Sometimes the New South Wales trustee and guardian isn't the best option. They're a government organization. They're not personal. They're not in that person's life. So they're not available to make decisions day to day to be available whenever they're needed. Um, you need to get in contact with them and wait for a response. So having a daughter appointed means that the financial management gets a much more hands-on, immediate attention. It was also about not causing any additional distress to the mother. So by appointing a stranger to manage her finances, that would require her to deal with a completely different person and uh, a situation that she might not have understood given her limited capacity. She wanted this attorney daughter to continue to manage her finances, and this way the mother's wishes could be granted, but at the same time protecting her from any further exploitation. So I feel like they came to a happy compromise, this Continued appointment as financial manager under the supervision of the New South Wales trustee and guardian so that they can monitor what she's doing and give her instructions along the way. And then this review at 12 months so that if she continues to do the wrong thing, she can be removed. Another message is that if anyone ever suspects that someone who is appointed as the attorney or someone who's appointed as a financial manager, if you ever suspect that they're doing the wrong thing, if they're spending more money than they should have, um, if you just got this niggling suspicion that they're taking advantage of this older person or abusing their power, then you can always make an application to the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal And you can apply for that appointment to be reviewed. You can look at their website for the application forms. You just fill out a form, provide as much evidence as possible, and they can see that application, set a hearing date, and they can talk to the older person. They can get accounts from the attorney and they can decide for themselves whether there has been abuse and whether someone else needs to be appointed. In the application you don't have to apply to be appointed yourself you could be applying for someone else to be appointed or even for the new south wales Trustee and guardian to be appointed if you think that they're going to do the best job and no one else is available just as a thought sometimes these tribunal processes the older person can see the tribunal as the enemy because the tribunal is sitting in judgment they're judging the older person's mental capacity and they're deciding who manages that person's... Well, if it's the attorney, whether who manages their finances, and if it's a guardian, who makes medical and lifestyle decisions for them. So the tribunal is sitting in judgment, and they're making these really powerful, important decisions that affects so much of that older person's life. So sometimes the older person can see the tribunal as the enemy. I would encourage that the older person work with the tribunal as much as possible, engage in this process, present their own opinions, work with the gal if the guardian ad litem is appointed, and make sure that the tribunal at least knows what this older person wants. Participate and give them as much information as possible so that their voice is heard. After all, at the end of the day, the tribunal must give consideration to the older person's wishes, uh, but they also need to make a decision that is in the older person's best interest. That was the case of ZLU versus ZLV. The case citations will be provided in the notes. If you had any thoughts on this case or if you have any recommendation of cases for me to cover, please let me know. You can email them to me at elderservice at A big thank you from the Elder Abuse Service for listening in today. And if you are experiencing elder abuse, if you are at risk of it, or if you know someone who is, please feel free to call 1 800 353 374. Or if you're on the New South Wales Central Coast, you can call our service on 02 4324 5611.